As Roy said, we're working through 1 John. Um, let's remember that this letter was written by John to a number of churches which he ministered to, um, which were in the Asia Minor region, which today would be Turkey. Let's also remember that this is John, son of Zebedee, the intimate friend and disciple of Jesus. Um, he is also the author of the Gospel of John, in which he refers to himself as a disciple who loved Jesus. Furthermore, John was an eyewitness to Jesus' teachings, his miracles, his lifestyle, his death and resurrection. And here near the end of his own life on earth, when the church was under attack from persecutors from outside and from false teachers within, John is asserting what it is to be a true Christian. John is forcefully asserting the truth about who Jesus was, what is required of his true disciples, and assuring these true disciples of their hope and salvation. In particular, the message we'll we'll be looking at tonight, John is asserting what lifestyle the authentic Christian should have in the midst of an immoral world where where, um, false teaching and false principles are abounding. As we found ourselves in a similar scenario um, in our contemporary world, this passage holds great relevance to us. So let's start by reading the passage. Um, The passage can be found in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, and we'll be reading to chapter 3, verse 10, and it can be found on page 1226 in your pew Bible. Reading from verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If we know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him goes on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either sinned him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning, because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are, and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. So we see here, um, near the beginning of this passage, John is really emphasizing how the reality of Jesus' second coming, of of that that could come at any time, that should be a motivation for holy and right living. Both, and, and not only his coming, but also what he's done, that both his earthly life and death and resurrection, and what they represented, should be always in our mind and continually affecting the way we live. 
At the very beginning of this passage in verse 28, John is urging the believers to continue in him so that when he appears, they will be confident and unashamed. As I've said, the imminent return of, of the Lord was a prominent feature of the faith taught to the early church by the apostles. Part of this was to reflect what Jesus had taught himself, what Jesus had said about the uncertainty of his return in terms of the timing and the way in which it should affect the way the follower should live their life. And part of the emphasis was certainly to do with the context in which the letters were written, as is the case with all biblical writing. This is a time when faith in Christ comes at a high price. Um, All of the apostles were martyred except for John, and tradition has it that John was imprisoned and tortured. So in this context of hardship and persecution, the prospect of the next world in which they were assured peace and joy was certainly a tremendous motivation to persevere. But here John is not just reminding them of the relief Christ's return will bring, but that if they persevere in righteous living and obedience to God, they will be able to have full confidence and no cause for shame in front of the throne of Jesus on Judgment Day, a day that could come at any time. As some of you know, I've been working in the Faith Mission Bookshop for the last um, couple of months. Um, It's an interesting place. Uh, May I add, it's the new improved Faith Mission Bookshop. It's now reasonably tidy, and there is, at least in theory, some order to it. Um, But it's interesting because, as well as being a bookshop, it's a bit of an archive and a museum because they're not too fond of taking um, titles from yesteryear off their shelf. And I came across the, the... um, prophecy section, which is very interesting, just looking at the different um, kind of sensational titles that come out over the last 30 or 40 years. Um, the Pope has always been kind of in certain circles a candidate for, for um, the Antichrist who's going to bring in the end of the world. During the Cold War, it was always the Soviet Union, everyone was sure. Um, more recently, people were sure it was Iraq and Saddam Hussein. Um, now that's kind of worn off. And now most of the books coming out see Iran as the favorite for uh, bringing, bringing the end of the world about. And I think these alarmist predictions and kind of the sensationalism and also the whole um, excitement about uh, the millennium and what that meant and how that could uh, be ushering in the end of, of this age kind of has left a lot of Christians um, jaded and lacking enthusiasm for living with a real end times mentality or concern. On top of this, Um, Maybe it's the fact that in the West, because we're so comfortable and secure compared to um, the context the early church lived in, maybe we're feeling a bit too at home here. And we certainly seem to have a lot more to leave behind than the early church did. However, though John was certainly influenced by his context, his and the Bible's emphasis on living each day as if it could be the last was certainly to have a timeless application for the believers, irrespective of our orientation in time or geography. John's message urges us not to be complacent, but to strive to live each day for God as if it was the last, and to hold loosely to the things of this world, and to be prepared at all times to meet the Lord, without the need for shame because of the way we have been living. This kind of mindset will fire a continual zeal and passion to strive for righteousness in this life. The result will be, as stated in verse 3, everyone who has this hope in him will purify himself just as he is pure. John also reminds believers to be constantly conscious of what Christ has already done and its implication for them, and that this should spur them on to live obediently in this world. In verse 5, John reminds his audience, You know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. 
In verse 8 he states, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Those truly born of God appreciate the awesome deed out of love for us God has done through Christ. They comprehend the incredible privilege and status this gives us as being considered children of God. They grasp that this was done to free us from sin and its fatal consequences. They understand that the work of Jesus enables us through his power to overcome sin. Reflecting all this, run the race in such a way as characterized by righteousness and holiness. This is all part of the first point, by the way. Um, John goes on to describe what the difference should be between a genuine believer and those who are really following Jesus and those who are not. Reading from verse 6. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin either has seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning, because he has been born of God. John certainly here um, gives us a stark contrast between those who are truly following Jesus and those who are not. Um, it's almost You almost get the impression that all those who are true Christians are without sin, living perfectly obedient lives, while those who have gone astray um, are clearly of the devil, um, doing evil. When I personally compare this to the ups and downs and struggles of my own life, I find such a passage actually discouraging. And discouragement was certainly not John's intention. In fact, it was quite the opposite. This letter was written for the encouragement, assurance, and affirmation of the believers. To grasp this, we need to, as with all portions of Scripture, study this passage in the context of the whole letter and the whole Bible. We need to consider three things in particular to understand this part of John's message. Firstly, the immediate context of the false teachings and the false teachers of the time. Secondly, John's understanding that all are in the process of being made righteous. And thirdly, what John meant when he talked about sin and sinlessness. First, we look at the immediate context of of, uh, those John was writing to and its significance. Um, As we heard this morning, a group within the church had emerged who was promoting false teachings. This group had split from the church and they were still trying to corrupt the faith and practice of the believers who were still attending the church that John had founded. These teachers were apparently teaching, amongst other things, that Jesus was not the Christ or the Son of God, and that he had not really appeared on earth in flesh and blood. He had appeared as a man, not in reality, but only in appearance. And as is often the case, their doctrinal errors were manifested in ethical deviance from God's will and resulted in serious sin. They were either claiming that they were above sin or that sin had no effect on a relationship with God. Either way, the result was that sin was not being taken seriously and was being freely indulged in. And thus verses such as 6, which emphatically state, No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. John was certainly confident that the majority of his audience would consider this and be reassured that they were on the right path when they compared themselves to the, to the unrighteous lifestyle he's describing of those who have gone astray. As John writes in his closing remarks to the whole letter in chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you know that you may have eternal life. This was the context at the time of writing, but certainly the issues at hand were applicable to us today. 
attacks our disbelief in the reality of Jesus' nature and status as God and man, and the undermining of sin and its seriousness sound familiar. And John's message is that we must not let the voices from outside, which preach false truths, undermine the core elements of our faith and practice, those key things which make us a faithful light and witness in the world. Secondly, we need to hold these verses in balance with verses such as verse 2, where John acknowledges that we will be like what we will be like has not yet been made known, but we know when he appears we will be like him. Here John is acknowledging that a Christian will never be perfect this side of heaven. Furthermore, in the opening chapter of the book, John states that if anyone claims to have achieved perfection, they are deeming themselves and God liars. So coming to faith in Christ should be a life-changing event, and to be without sin is what we should be constantly aspiring to, but there will be no quick fixes. Each one of us is on a journey towards the goal of becoming increasingly more Christ-like. It is, it is a wonderful but difficult process which each one of us is still going through. A major implication of this is that we should be slow to compare ourselves and where we're at with other believers. Each of us is, is on our own individual journey with the Lord. The fact that we have different personalities with different histories, different experiences, will mean that each of us have our own unique struggles and strengths, some more apparent than others. As C.S. Lewis said, we often have the tendency to compare what we find easy with what others struggle with. So these verses are urging us to understand the seriousness of sin and seek perfection. We are promised that God's power is aiding us in this quest to understand and obey his commands found in his word. At the same time, the reality of our human state is acknowledged, meaning we will never be able to in this life to claim that we have made it in a spiritual sense. But we are promised that we are going to continue progressing and that he will finish the good work that he started in us. Thirdly, to fully understand this part of the passage, we need to understand what John meant by sinfulness and lawlessness, which those who had gone astray were indulging in, and which he contrasts to the the lifestyle of the believer. I believe he was talking about lifestyles characterized by sin, intentional and habitual sin. Though the efforts of the believer will not um, achieve perfection in this life, as discussed, the true follower of Jesus will not make an intentional habit of sin. Those who are shown to be two true children of, of God, um, those who, who are shown not to be true children of God, demonstrate an indifference to sin and indulge in it without remorse. If we are truly new, creation, new creations, united with Christ and genuinely understand and believe in his death and resurrection and future return and glory, and his seed is within us, we will not be able to continue to willingly sin in any particular area of our lives. And yet, as seen, we'll all have errors we struggle in. However, the fact that you are convicted of this and acknowledge this and the fact that in response to your guilt are struggling against it is evidence of true faith in the Holy Spirit's activity in our lives. As a 16th century Spanish Saint Pascal once called out to God, Where are you, God? And God responded, In your very seeking, you find me. If we felt no guilt, no disappointment in letting God down again, no determination to confess and strive on after God, when we sin, then we should be concerned. As a recent U2 song said, the greatest pain is to feel nothing at all. So this is the kind of sinful lawlessness which John is warning the church against. So we see the portrait of the life of the sound and obedient 
the believer, painted by John, if seen in context, should encourage us and assure us of the Lord's presence in our lives. However, our actions and lifestyles are not only a result of faith and the Lord's work in our lives, but also a witness to ourselves, other followers of Christ, and those who do not know Christ as Lord and Savior, that our faith is real and our salvation is assured. And this should be evident more than in terms of just our correct belief and rhetoric, but in a blatant difference in our outward actions and lifestyle. As St. Francis' well-known saying or command to his followers goes, preach the gospel everywhere you go and sometimes use words. As followers of Jesus, living in a context where the seriousness of sin is being watered down and not being acknowledged as sin itself, the way we live should be radically different. In John's letter, a great emphasis is put on the futility of faith without being demonstrated by actions. The two should be inseparable. So how do we in reality live as righteous individuals in a righteous community which reflects the fact that we are on the one and only true path? How do we do it in this time and in this place? And how can we do this in a way that we will not become worldly ourselves, yet we will be able to relate to the world and communicate our message to the world in forms that they will be able to grasp? We must make sure our lives reflect righteousness and godliness in ways that today's increasingly unchurched world can grasp. Not displaying the impression many have of Christians as being self-righteous and judgmental and condemning, but displaying humility, care, concern, love, compassion, and holiness that is motivated by our devotion to God. All strong themes in this letter of John's. And we must consider whether or not when people from outside observe our worship and community life, they receive this message in a language and manner that they understand seeing and experiencing extraordinary acts of kindness and an atmosphere of love and grace without selfish motive will speak Christ's message to a cynical, self-centered world. And I think in a world where there's so many different theories and philosophies and doctrines, I think it's concrete actions and tangible things which are really going to convince people more than ever rather than just another idea. So that, that really should mold the way we function as a community and individuals. And yet at the same time we have to realize that even if we do all this, that some people are going to risk, uh, um, reject our message as foolishness. The Bible promises this. But let us make sure that they are rejecting the gospel message for what it is and not rejecting a misrepresentation of it because we are so out of touch with the world outside the church or because we discredit it with our actions. At the same time we hold this intention with attempting to live as Christ-centered communities in an environment which is increasingly non- or even anti-Christian and not being corrupted by it. We try to be relevant and in touch, but not by compromising the righteous Christian way of life we are to display. We need to continually examine our thought patterns, attitudes, actions, lifestyle, to make sure that they are allied with the Bible's requirements for righteous living, which glorifies God and not the norms of the world. As Jesus himself prayed for his disciples, that we would be in in the world, but not of the world. Let us remember this, particularly at this time of year, the Christmas season. A a Christian festival in an increasingly non-Christian world, or non-Christian culture. We can certainly join with the wider community in celebrating it as a time of significance and joy. A time to give and share, a time to spend with and express love to those who are near and dear to us. There is no harm in stories of Santa and Christmas trees as long as these are enjoyed in proportion with the key focus on Jesus Christ and what he has done. 
However, if we indulge in some of the obscene materialism seen during, seen during this time, particularly in the context of a world where so many are so desperately needy, if we only share our time and wealth with the ones in our own circle of friends and family, those easy to love, whilst paying no heed to those who find it harder, who we find it harder to show affection to, are those who this time of year only emphasizes their neediness, whether it be materially or in terms of human kindness and companionship. If we only enjoy and stress about shopping, traditions, and entertainment at expense of remembering to center this season on worshiping Jesus Christ, then we are in fact not only living in the world but becoming part of it and being corrupted by what modern Western society has made this festival inaugurated to remember and glorify Jesus Christ. So let us ensure that this Christmas we celebrate Christmas in a manner that fully expresses and demonstrates a lifestyle that is single-mindedly devoted to God and reflects a righteousness that is so clearly different from the way of the world, one which is a witness to Jesus. And the very last line of this passage, the very last verse, verse 10, we see it as written, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is a child of God, is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. This touches on a theme that will be strongly emphasized in the last part of the chapter. That is that this righteous life does not consist of a religious self-righteous righteousness, but one that is motivated by love for the Lord and love for each other. And furthermore, it is done and demonstrated in community. It is not an individualistic quest. It should be evident in the way we live and function as a community. And this is a great blessing and a great challenge because people are complex and sometimes difficult. And on the other hand, our brothers and sisters can be encouragements, models, partners in our communal and individual quest for a life characterized by love and righteousness. So in closing, in the light of the past, as dispatches from the word of God, let's press on to live in a way that reflects our firm faith in and understanding of who Jesus is and what he has at great, great cross done for us. Firstly, let, this, let us do this in a manner that testifies to the fact that Jesus Christ will return and this could take place at any time. And in the light of this, get our priorities right and live, live this life in a way that will cause us no shame when he returns. Secondly, let us be encouraged to be reassured that the very fact that we are striving and at times struggling as individuals and as a community to be more righteous in God's eyes is evidence in itself of Christ's grace at work in our lives and the, insurance, the ultimate assurance of our, our own salvation. And finally, let's remember that we aspire to live more righteously, not only for the sake of our own relationship with God, but so that we can also be witnesses to others of the light in which we walk.